0: Welcome to season seven of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian and a writer, and I've worked in the animal healthcare industry, and prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. Yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. Speaking of directions, in each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a guest so they can share their different directions and journeys. We'll explore veterinary medicine and how it fits with other aspects of our lives. One last thing. Thank you, Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the veterinary profession. Today's guest has been working in veterinary medicine for over 20 years. I want to introduce you to Liza Rudolph, a veterinary technician specialist in canine and feline clinical practice and small animal internal medicine. She's also the program director for the veterinary technology program at Rowan College of South Jersey. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'd like you to walk us through your career because you began in clinical practice, but you've spent a considerable amount of time in academia, and I noticed that you're currently licensed in New York, Ohio, New Jersey, Maryland. I think you were once licensed in Delaware and Pennsylvania, so you like to move around. So, like, what? How did this all begin? How did your career begin?
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's there, there there was definitely a, uh, a an interesting path. Um, <laughs> when I first began my career, I started at actually at Harkham College, which is in Pennsylvania. I ended up moving, so I had to put that on pause. So I moved to I moved to Maryland and was fortunate enough to find a position in a general practice that was. Very happy to have someone that had a little bit of information about veterinary medicine, even though you know I had only had about a year under my belt. And then um, they were a great practice. They taught me a lot. I was very, very fortunate to be in that situation. And I was there for a little bit. I moved around. I've, I've also been in Florida for a bit. But the long and the short of it is that I spent eight years working as an on-the-job trained technician. And I actually sat and passed for the VTNE in Delaware through alternative route. And when I was studying for the VTNE, I realized where my knowledge gaps were, I could point them out. And that made me want to go back to finish my degree, which I did through St. Petersburg College. And in that meantime, I had moved from general practice, I'd moved to specialty practice. And a little bit in between. So I've kind of dabbled a bit. And then finally, in clinical practice, at least, I found my passion in internal medicine. So that's kind of my favorite um, favorite bit about clinical medicine is internal medicine. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you went into education. So what made you decide that you wanted to move into that realm?
1: Honestly, I found out early on that I kind of loved Teaching. So, you know, when you have a, a technician in your practice that likes teaching and likes training people, you kind of just organically fit into that role and start taking over training and teaching people. And I just found that I really enjoyed it. And it seemed like I might be good at it. I wasn't sure. (laughs) Um, So it kind of started that way in terms of being an educator and a training person in different practices. And then that kind of segued into going into an actual academic environment. What
0: is it that you
1: love so much about it? Honestly, there's, I love seeing the light bulbs go off, especially when I'm training someone or explaining. And it's this concept that they've almost got down, but they haven't quite grasped and then being able to explain it in a way that they understand. And you see that light bulb and they go, oh, finally, I understand it. That's fantastic. And that's what I love, that, that click, that light bulb that goes off. I just, I love that. I love it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At different clinical practices, you worked as a veterinary technician in internal medicine and emergency, as you said. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, what skills did you learn that
1: would help you transition to education? that's really a great question. And I think that that works well for any clinical role, but especially internal medicine and emergency, I think that you have to, you know, you've owners there that whether it's an appointment or if it's an emergent situation, they're there because something's very wrong, right? We're not talking about, we have an ear infection or something like that. So they're scared and you have to take that moment, gain their trust and explain things to them when they're not in a state where they can necessarily process the information. So I think from an emergency point of view explaining the situation and 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 trying to guide them and let them know what's happening with their pet and then also from internal medicine when you're getting into you know complex disease processes being able to distill that down for the owner to understand it, because, uh, you know, as you know, once an owner understands something, you get more buy in. They they understand why they're doing things and they're less likely to make some of those errors or discontinue medications or things like that. So I think that people don't realize how much education that we do when we're doing discharges and we're talking to owners. And it's a really, really big part of, of our positions. Yeah,
0: I I, th- I think you're absolutely right, because I think really what you're saying is you're teaching you know the owners and as you as you've talked about distilling the information down and making sure that it that it could be understood and and so they can make the decisions that they need to so it's yeah yeah Makes sense. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And when you think about things like uh, bringing together maybe emergency and internal medicine, when you have that patient that's a DKA, right? You You have that owner that didn't know that pets got diabetes. So you start from a very, you know, very bottom, no knowledge, and then have to work them through DKA and then the long term. And granted, you're doing it in chunks, but That's a lot of information to relay to an owner for them to be confident enough to understand and to treat their pet.
0: Do you feel that becoming a veterinary technician specialist was a must do to transition into education?
1: I I do not. Um, When I think of veterinary technician specialty, I mean there is a lot of knowledge involved with it, but it's a very it's a very narrow focus. So I think it's helpful in terms of yes the the learning process, and it's helpful in terms of writing case reports and thinking very critically. But I personally don't think it's necessary. I think that for those technicians that are very focused on working in clinical practice and they love doing the things and that's what lights them up. That's a great route. them to go because the return on it it's just fantastic I mean I can say that regardless of where my path has gone that by becoming a veterinary technician specialist I can say without a doubt that it has made me a better technician and also by understanding and you know expanding my knowledge base it's made it incredibly more rewarding when I'm working Mm -hmm. on the floor yeah Mm -hmm. it's definitely from a clinical point of view it's great (laughs) what makes it so rewarding Honestly, once you know it's it's being able to to plug all that information in. Once you find that thing that you're passionate about, right? right? If you're a a VTS in anesthesia or emergency or internal medicine, if you're going that route, that's something that you're passionate about anyway, because. Certainly you need the experience in that specialty, but then once you have the experience, you have to put together your packet and get your case logs and do all the other things. And you have to love this thing that you're doing or else it would be a terrible process because you have to have that passion for the thing, right? And by doing that, it kind of feeds that passion for whatever your specialty is. And it really gives you a better idea of how we're caring for our patients, why we're doing the things we're doing. So I think it brings things up a level and engages you in a bit of a different way. And I've also found from the clinical practice point of view that once a practice has a veterinary technician specialist on board and you start seeing the skills list, you see a lot of light bulbs go off in the practice in terms of the other staff members, leadership, veterinarians, and they're like, oh, wow, you you can do all these things? Yeah, I can do those. And then it improves utilization in the practice. And then other techs are like, hey, I didn't know I could do that. Yes, you can. Let's do it together. I love the VTS process because it's it's about the individual growth, but it's and the patient Care and raising the bar in the whole practice, all wrapped up in, in a bow. It's fantastic. <laughs> right,
0: right. You specialized in internal medicine and clinical practice, but mm-hmm. I'm curious why didn't you specialize in emergency and critical care? Because you seem
1: to love that part of veterinary medicine too. I do. I, I love them both for very different reasons. I found for me that internal medicine was the sweet spot for me because, you know, I started my career in general practice and I loved general practice. Right, you're there, you start seeing these these patients, they come back, and you build these relationships with clients and their pets, and that's really rewarding. In emergency, you're not building that relationship, but you're seeing the cool things and you're saving lives, and that's a whole different kind of re- reward. For me, internal medicine was kind of the combination of those. You're seeing the complex cases. You might see them through emergency. They might transfer to internal medicine, but you're still getting that relationship building because those owners are coming back. What The only thing that I would say that I disliked about emergency was the fact that sometimes you never knew what happened to that pet. You lost that case to follow up. Whereas on internal medicine, you saw them and you built that relationship. So I think that that was uh, the perfect blend for me between emergency and GP. Internal medicine was my sweet spot. (laughs) So how do you, how does a person find their sweet spot? Say, you know, they're they're at
0: that, point where they maybe want to specialize, how do they decide? What's that perfect place for them?
1: It's hard. And I think, you know, when I think about where where I started, you know, I started in general practice and then I moved to specialty. And when I did that, first I worked in the anesthesia department, the surgery department. You have to kind of find your way. And I think that's an important thing to for me to know when uh, developing this, this veterinary technician program is that making sure that the techs can get that experience to at least have an idea of what is out there. I mean, I know that when I started tech school, I was 100% convinced I was going to be an equine tech. That's what I was doing. <laughs> I have not laid hands on a horse in about 25 years. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I never thought I was going to be a small animal, but that's where it took me. So, it's, it's interesting how those paths you know turn out in front of us. <laughs> right, right. If a veterinary technician wanted to move
0: from clinical practice to education, what advice would you give them?
1: I would say that especially now in the in the in the current climate when we're working in clinical practice that when we have those either new technicians, new assistants, new employees that those people really embrace the education and the training part within their, within their day-to-day because that'll give you an idea of how it feels, how to explain, how to explain things to people, and really kind of get a feel for how education feels to you because it's not the right fit for everyone. And I think that's a really easy way to say, is this right for me? Do I actually enjoy teaching people? Do I like seeing their brains put things together? And mm-hmm. I think that's yeah, I think that's probably the best Way to start. And then after that, there's plenty, there's a lot of opportunities, whether there's webinar instruction, um, plenty of adjunct positions. So usually you can get your foot in the door somewhere if. You're, if that's the passion and that's the thing that you're that you're looking for. The other thing is that there's been a lot of talk as well about education and training coordinator roles in clinical practice where, you know, there's actually somebody in their entire job is to develop training protocols and education within the team and having someone like that clinically is extraordinarily helpful so that everybody's on the same page and we're all practicing the same standard of practice. So if there is a middle spot for that, so if you really love clinical practice and you love teaching, you might be able to find a role like that in, in your practice where you can do a little bit of both.
0: Yeah, that's a great mm-hmm. idea. All right. So you were a webinar instructor for Penn Foster College in the veterinary technology program, and you continue to work for the veterinary support personnel network, which is part of VIN in the realm of continuing education. And now you're leading the veterinary technology program at the new veterinary school in New Jersey. I'm curious if there's any life lessons you plan to incorporate into the curriculum. Like, what are they? Because I imagine, you know, are there things that you wish you knew when you were a student? that maybe you would put into
1: what you're gonna teach? What I have planned in the very, actually in the last semester is what I'm calling a um, professional seminar and VTNE review. And uh, really, in addition to reviewing before the boards, which is obviously really important, as part of that class, we're also going to be uh, encompassing things like career building, resume building, how to interview, and then also things like compassion fatigue, self care, wellness, and that sort of thing. Because I don't think that, or at least in the past, hasn't been discussed as often in terms of giving people the tools. Because even though we don't all know this is an exceptionally rewarding career, it's not necessarily the easiest career. And if we have the tools to be able to continue in this profession, I think that's going to help a lot in terms of longevity and positive changes in mental health. So that's what I'm also trying to integrate. I think we often get caught up in the science and we kind of forget that there's a lot of interaction, there's a lot of compassion, and there's a lot of feelings that are actually involved in veterinary medicine. And we have to know how to deal with those in order to be the best veterinarians, technicians, assistants, what have you that we can be. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with the feelings, Liza? That's a a great question. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I honestly am not Sure. How to, how to answer that sometimes when I, you know, I have to think about my day and process what happened. And, you know, sometimes you have those days where you walk out of the, you walk out of the clinic and wow, it was a great day, right? You save that life. You did that surgery, you know, you did whatever it was and you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm making a difference. Those are the great feelings. You can think about them all day and all night. um, But when it comes down to those hard cases, I think that we have to acknowledge, maybe not completely immersing ourselves in it, but acknowledging the fact that, yeah, it does affect us and that we should process those things and think about maybe what, if there's anything that we did or didn't do at that moment or whether we're talking about an, an owner that maybe we gave them particularly bad news and they didn't take it well. In hindsight, I'm going to come back and say, I feel really badly about that because this is a very people-centered profession. And I'm going to come back and say, oh, I feel badly that she felt so bad. Could I have done that differently? And if I could, then that's a learning point. But if I couldn't, I have to acknowledge that I did the best that I could. And that's all there is to it. I think we really need to embrace the fact that, all we can do is our best every single day. And sometimes our best doesn't work out and that's okay. Yeah. And and don't you feel like
0: all we can do is our best and don't you feel like we have to just let it go?
1: Yes. And I think that that's I think that's really common in the industry, right? You come home and you think of that case or you're driving home and all of a sudden you realize I don't have the radio on. I'm so in my head. I'm just thinking about what happened today. And like I said, I think it's important to think about it and process it. But we also have to be able to say, okay, I thought about it. And now I can put this aside and I can move on. And now I go to my, I go back to my actual life, right? Not my work life, my life life. So I I think finding that balance is really difficult. And I think that balance is very different for different people, but you're right. Being able to put it aside and make work work, even though I do think that vet med is a, is a vocation, it's a calling, but it's still work, right? Yes, (laughs) right, right. So being able to put that just aside so that you can sit down and have, you know, a nice dinner with your family or whatever that thing is so that you're not in your head. I think that's really important. Yeah. Let's talk about
0: career building. I imagine our listeners are wondering how you landed this exciting job at a new vet school. How important is networking or
1: whatever else it takes to land this fabulous position? (laughs) Uh, I will say that um, unfortunately, networking is very <laughs> important. Um, and I say that because putting yourself out there and making those connections sometimes can feel awkward or it can feel weird. For me, you know, I've been lecturing at various conferences for many years. And the reason that I got tapped or uh, w- that someone reached out to me was because they saw me lecturing and doing a technician panel at one of the national conferences and whatever i don't know what i said or what i did but whatever i did stuck with this person so that when the opportunity came up they reached directly out to me so there is something the networking is important but it it's hard because it feels weird because it feels like you're marketing yourself or you're like hey look at me i'm the best but you know we we got to do what we got to (laughs) do
0: right right (laughs) Do you recommend continuing to stay in clinical practice too because you continue working as a relief veterinarian for med, vet, medical, and
1: cancer centers for pets? You know, like, why is it important? As far as working in clinical practice and also in academia, I think it's important because I feel that the, that the medicine moves so fast that when I've taken breaks uh, in, in the past, for whatever reason, um, within about six months... I felt like all these new drugs came out that I had no idea what they were. I mean, we're not even talking about flea and tick. We're talking about all of the products that that are there. And I remember that um, there was a period when, oh, I can't remember what the product was that came out, but everyone had been using it. And then when I came and picked up a relief shift, I'm like, okay, I know what that drug's for. I have never used it before. <laughs> I don't know how effective it is. I think that it's important that there's some sort of touchstone with clinical practice because then also, we also re- have to remember that when we're when we're teaching people, their goal is to get them out in clinical practice. So it's very important to me to at least continue to provide relief because I feel that need. I still need to touch those patients. I still need to feel like I'm connected to the profession and I need to feel like that i have enough of a knowledge base where veterinary medicine is right now that i can then translate that to my students because otherwise i personally feel like i would be doing them a disservice and that may not be the same for everyone but that's that's how i feel
0: (laughs) right well we're just about out of time i have time for one last question which is I want to go back to the networking, and we both. And you said, you know, unfortunately, <laughs> yes, the networking. So, how does someone? you know, even just stick their toe in the water of doing that.
1: It's, oh, it's, it is, it's hard, right? It's hard and it's awkward. Um, Honestly, if you have, if you have a buddy, a networking buddy, it's so much easier for you to have, to, to approach someone or, you know, if you have someone next to you, you feel like you have that backup. The other thing is that someone that can make those introductions. Right. So it can be intimidating when you're in a group of people, but let's say you're, you know, in an exhibit hall and you're with your friend and your friend's like, Oh, there's that person. You should really make, you should really talk to them. Let me introduce you, grab onto that and take it. Right. (laughs) So I usually, I, I like to, to, be a little, I don't know, I'll say subtle. I like subtle networking. That's my preference. Um, (laughs) But I'm, I'm a little bit of an introvert in that way. So yeah, but I do think it's really, it's really important. A lot of the other thing is that a lot of the connections that I've made, not, I mean, yes, professionally, but I have made some of the most uh, profound uh, uh, connections and friendships from people that I've met through networking that I never thought that, that we would be best friends across the country, but we we are. So it's not just the it's not just networking. I mean, the relationships sh- ships that you build, and there's a lot of them out there that mean so very much to me. And I'm thankful that I had that opportunity to meet those people because now they're a big part of my life.
0: Right. It's not just hey, how can I get my next job? It's like you're really exactly. making connections.
1: Exactly. And that's the thing is you need to get out of that headspace of like, oh, I'm networking. Let me get a job. You know, it's no, it's making connections with people. And yeah. I think that's if you think about it more like that, it's much easier to handle because you don't feel like you're I don't know, you, you don't feel like you're marketing or selling a product. You're not selling you. You're just making a connection. And then you can take it from there. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much for taking uh, some time to talk to us today.
1: Of course, it was my pleasure. This was so much fun.
0: <laughs> this wraps up another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at scrubchat at And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so that we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. I'm Kim Farina. I'll meet you back here next time. This is Scrub Chat.